Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of X-Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. How do you maintain agility and growth in a business that's 6,000 people strong? Today, I speak with Kahe. I'm not going to say his surname because I know I'm going to say it badly. He says it himself, <laughs> uh, who uh, is uh, the executive vice president, basically the CEO of the whole Asia region of this very fast-growing technology consulting business, Amaris Consulting. And uh, we get into really interesting conversation as he explains the smart corporation approach that's allowed the company to open up 80 offices in 60 countries in just a few years. For a consulting business, that's phenomenal. And um, I've been in consulting, I've seen businesses very successfully open you know, just a handful of offices. They've been able to absolutely multiply and it's great to understand how they did that. And he also talks very honestly about how his first year in the business, he started as an intern and his first year was not great. He failed pretty much in his own words. And yet the business gave him a second chance and he went on to succeed extraordinarily. So enjoy this bit, enjoy this conversation as we dive into the hyper growth that Amaris Consulting has experienced. Hi, Kai, and welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm looking forward to talking to you today about, you know, your recent experience. I know that you joined uh, Amaris Consulting as an intern, and now you're an executive vice president. You're basically running the entire Asian business with almost a thousand employees. Mm -hmm. So, um, but before we get into that, do you want to just kind of give us a a quick uh, soundbite about, you know, your background and uh, and what is Amaris Consulting? What's, What's the context here? Yes, sure. Um, well, let's say that basically that I'm a Brazilian who left my nest very early to see how was the world outside. Uh, left my parent home when I was 14, then left my country when I was 17. I went to France to do my engineering degree. Uh, and actually, since as far as I remember, I was passionate about business. My first big deal uh, was exchanging my PlayStation 1 for a horse. True story. <laughs> Never have had such a profitability since then. Uh, and then I, I ended up doing my engineering degree in France. And well, my passion followed me. So it's not that I was completely uninterested to go to my class. I did went, I did go to my classes, uh, but I find a way to join an association which we call in France a junior enterprise. Uh, right. which is basically a consulting a firm composed by uh, students. Uh, and my goal was to develop business uh, during uh, this, um, this activity. So I met Olivier Bron, the founder of Emery's uh, back, it was in 2009. Uh, and I, tried to, I was trying to sell him some services 
from my junior enterprise. And Olivier uh, very quickly made me understand that uh, he was not interested by buying anything. Right. Uh, still, he could be interested by um, working with me after right. uh, I, I was graduated. Okay, so, so let's, let's just take a pause there. So um, yeah, so just so story so far, right? You grew up in Brazil, you moved to France. As, you know, we talked a little bit about that before we started recording. And uh, I have that story as well as a slightly accidental or un- un- surprising story say, for both of us ending up in France. But you ended up in France um, and then you encountered, you know, the, the founder of, of, of Amaris. Um, mm-hmm. Before we go into that story, do you want to just tell us like what what does Amaris do now? Like what's you know just give us a bit, bit of an idea about the scope oh, sure, and, sure. And, and, and and what you're currently doing, and then yeah. we'll go back into time and we'll finish off that story. Okay. Well, Amaris Consulting is an independent technological consulting. Uh, we provide guidance and services for more than one thousand clients in sixty countries. Um, we have today uh, more than six thousand. Uh, talents uh, working with us and we basically have activities in four uh, business line which is um, IS in digital engineering telecommunication and life sciences basically this is the activity of the company got it okay so you got yeah so six thousand people these four main technical areas um yeah and it sounds like it's 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 a really global business right um you've got I guess in multiple this, I mean, yes, this is actually part of our strategy since the first days of the mm-hmm. company. We were created to go global. Um, and we, we have what we call um, internally uh, a smart corporation approach. Uh, we, we try to align, let's say, the best world of startups and corporations um, so with all the agility when we are creating new offices going to new countries uh, the mindset um, the quick decision um, process and then align it with uh, the capacity of a corporation that is based in uh, indeed 60 countries mm-hmm. um, around the world so so how, how do you do that let me yeah. interrupt I'm fascinated mm-hmm. right a smart corporation so it sounds great but how do you do that with Six thousand people in sixty countries. I mean, um, yeah. What? How? You know, how would you? How would you maintain that agility? Um, yeah, trust. Uh, I think this is the, the key word here. Um, first of all, uh, we trust our people, um, and and this is what actually um, allowed us uh, to create in this space. Because uh, I didn't. Uh, explain it exactly, but we went from three to 6,000 people in these 15 years uh, within uh, organic growth. Mm. So it's not related to external growth. Uh, the people that are working with us today was recruited uh, in Amaris, and so it was an organic growth. We started our operations in 2007 um, and we in Switzerland, and we went very quickly to France, uh, Spain, and, uh, and England. Uh, and with uh, our um, approach of having young talent, giving a lot of responsibilities and trust to those uh, who showed a lot of potential, uh, we were able to create um, around 80 offices around the world. So uh, I can give mm. you the example right. of Brazil because it's an office that um, I was uh, in charge uh, since the beginning, uh, which was 
kind of a dream for me uh, to work back with Brazilians. Right. Um, I haven't ever worked with Brazilian actually. When I left Brazil in seven, uh, with 17 years old, uh, then my first experience was in 2017 when uh, we sent uh, one of our talents to create the office in Brazil. Uh, so we hired the, this guy, Geoffrey Adel, uh, and he was trained during three months in our office in Madrid uh, on how to do business, the culture of the company, uh, the different process, and so. Uh, and when we thought he was ready, we sent him to Sao Paulo, Brazil. He arrived there. Um, and, and then he started uh, what we have explained to him mm. uh, is uh, like get in touch with clients, potential clients, get in touch with candidates, understanding the market. Uh, and then at some point, uh, starting first project, then a second a third and so and so uh, today it's around 100 people uh, working uh, between sao paulo rio de janeiro mm-hmm. curitiba my hometown and also um, belo horizonte uh, so uh, it's a nice success story that actually we made in uh, 60 different countries right i could tell the same story in china in singapore in vietnam mm. in canada each time uh, we have sent someone uh, with our culture, with our trust, and we empowered this person uh, to take in charge the development of uh, the company. Mm. How was it possible with uh, that young talents is that they are supported by uh, what we call our hubs. In the structural organization of the company, for example, in Brazil, we don't have uh, a local HR we don't have a local financial financial team. Right. This team, they are based in Colombia, um, mm. where we have people um, for business partners, so finance, HR, recruitment, yeah. marketing, IT, that right. provide services to other countries in the region. Right. I mean, yeah, I was getting. I was interested about this because I was thinking, you know, there's an extreme level if you just send somebody out to a new place and say build a business, right? I was wondering, well, why would they? you know, stay part of Amaris at that point if they're just going out there and building their own business, right? So I think it's starting to answer that, that there is, mm. um, they've actually got really good at building a structure that yes. allows this multiplication, right? I mean, what we're talking yes. about here is multiplication, right? The, exactly. This podcast is about multiplying impact. And I think it sounds like you've built some good structures to allow this exactly. replication to happen, right? That it's not um, that once you've got your central regional hubs, for example, exactly. they can then support multiple entrepreneurs building. And we have several. We have one here in Vietnam. We have one in Colombia. We have one in Spain, in Tunisia, Mauritius, India, and uh, others. And those hubs of activities, they uh, provide services to the business. Mm. Um, so we can focus when we are opening a new office in a new country, we are focused on understanding the market uh, and developing business. So it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people would say, you know, we trust our employees or, you know, we trust our key leaders or or whatever they would say, but not every company manages to open up 80 offices in, you know, 60, yeah, I think 80 offices you said, right, in 60 countries um, in a relatively, you know, small number of years. So what do you have to believe as a company to make that shift it's not just because we show our values 
um, that we live with them. Uh, but value should not be just a marketing tool. Uh, yeah. When we say that we our values are performance, independence, trust, uh, boldness, commitment, uh, it's really what uh, we live for. Uh, and I think that the uh, leadership of the company has a very important role to play. Uh, I used to tell to my teams that uh, a company with a vision uh, but no actions live in a dream uh, when a company that has a lot of actions but has no vision lives in a nightmare. Uh, so uh, the whole yeah. uh, thing here is um, being sure that the vision of the company is there uh, and are embedded, embodied by, uh, by the leaders. And then we aligned uh, the whole strategy and action plans of the company with dashes. And then the actions uh, of our teams will nourish the vision of the company. And then you enter in a positive cycle in which you have vision, action, action, vision, vision, action. And so things work together. But it's very difficult because it's a matter of culture uh, and we need yeah. to embody it. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was talking really about, about beliefs. Perhaps I didn't phrase the question really well, but it's like, you have to believe some things about people and about business to go, we're going to send, you know, we're going to open up all these offices. We're going to send just somebody there and kind of let them get on with it by the sound of it, right? Without overly constraining them or but on the other hand, providing them with support, right? So there, it's, there's definitely a mindset thing there, which as a business you had to have, right? Because many consulting businesses, I was in a consulting business, you know, they, they grew and it was a different business, right? But you know, perhaps they opened, I don't know how many offices, there, there six offices, right? Yes. In the time you've, ate, yeah. you've opened 60, so. Yeah, there is something very important in terms, um, uh, there is a control somewhere for sure. Mm. We know where we are going. Uh, we, we know our, uh, our financials, we know the cash we have, uh, but at some point there is a kind of let it go approach that is important. I mean, you cannot control everything no. uh, and you need to trust people because uh, you have a choice. Either you trust people and you grow or you don't trust and uh, and you stay where you are. Uh, and for some, I think it, this is maybe not a bad thing. So I think the point I was trying to make here, Kai, was that in the space of what some consulting companies, you know, you might open up six or eight offices, you, you opened up 60 or 80 offices. And I think it's really about something that you have to believe as a business that's different, right? Because you have to believe that if you empower people and you give them some support and you build a structure to support them, then they're going to build something It's going to work. It's not going to be chaotic. You're not going to create brand damage. You're not going to have too many different parts doing different things that people are going to act trustworthy. There are all these things that you have to believe. Uh, or, yeah. So I was wondering what specifically do you think was that mindset that allowed you to, or even some of the controls that you put into place to allow the business to feel confident to grow at such a speed? Yes. Um, I think that um, there is some, po in some point you need to let it go. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't control, that we don't master our process, that we don't know what we are doing. We know that we have, uh, let's say, a very good recipe, that we know if it's applied, uh, it will work. So we trust um, our coaching approach. We trust our um, training um, sessions as well. Uh, and then we trust our people for sure. But it's not just like uh, I hire someone and I send to the other uh, to Thailand uh, and I uh, expect 
that he or she will uh, be able to build a business. Mm. First, uh, I need to give the example and to explain how to do. Uh, so I think first, uh, if you want to really trust uh, people, you need also to coach them uh, to, to be sure that they will do a good job. Mm. Uh, but at some point, you cannot control everything and you need to let it go. Uh, because uh, if you uh, don't let it go uh, and you want to control everything, uh, well, you you mm. you won't grow. If you want to grow, you need to um, let people do this growth as well. Uh, it's not a mm. let's say a one man company. Uh, if you want to scale uh, and go to thousands of people, at some point you need to trust the job that they will do. It's Richard here with a quick interlude. As part of my coaching and advisory work, I often work with leaders who have recently taken on the CEO role. It's a big leap from the comfort zone of functional leadership or business unit management. And it opens up a whole new set of stakeholders, pressures, decisions, and responsibilities. I found that there are three key things that will make a huge difference in those first quarters. Number one, balancing the operational and the strategic what I call CEO focus. Number two, establishing credibility, what I call CEO presence. And number three, managing stakeholders, those CEO conversations. I've written a short email series that goes into more detail on the transition to CEO and how you can practically sharpen your CEO focus, solidify your CEO presence and master your CEO conversations. It's insightful and it's entirely free of charge and you can register for it by going to xquadrant.com forward slash go forward slash curve. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. In previous season of the podcast, uh, Secrets to Scaling, I interviewed some of the fastest growing CEOs um, in Europe and the US and uh, that point about decentralization and letting go is is really key and i see that's a principle that's here as well i mean I, what i heard from you was there was training uh and mentoring then there was this kind of providing people with resources your finance your hr yeah. these kind of things uh and then there's that process of just letting go and letting yes. people then work within that the, the, the framework is there uh and then uh yeah. when people know the rules we let them play got it basically this is the way it works and so let's just kind of jump back into your own story, right? So, because I, I know mm. that, you know, you would, when we, when we first uh, started the story, you'd just been kind of uh, in contact with this, um, with the founder. Uh, he wasn't interested in buying the um, university, you know, consulting <laughs> services, but he was interested perhaps in you. And I know that you then joined as an intern. Um, and so just, yeah, very quickly, perhaps just kind of tell us like what happened, what the story was between joining as an intern and becoming, you know, the head of the whole of the Asian region in the business. Yeah. Well, it didn't start with a success story. Um, this is important to say here. My first year uh, doing my internship and my uh, permanent contract, first year was far from a success story. Um, and we were speaking about trust. Uh, the company trusted my potential, even though I was not in success. And that uh, was the first point that is important. Uh, so after one year in mm. Paris, um, not have done uh, much uh, results. I had the opportunity to start over again from Strasbourg. 
And then uh, went to Strasbourg. And in two years, I uh, created a business unit from scratch. Uh, and uh, from, let's say, myself to 50 people uh, working and generating a 5 million euros revenue, uh, yearly revenue. Uh, this good result uh, allowed me uh, to have another responsibility, which was taking in charge of the office of Lyon. Uh, at that time, uh, it was 2016, we had 80 people working in Lyon. Three years after, uh, we were uh, around 300 people mm. working in the office and generating more than 20 million uh, yearly turnover. Uh, and between 2016, 2019, I had different opportunities um, in terms of uh, taking the responsibility over Switzerland, uh, south of France. Uh, as I told you, uh, I created the office in Brazil. Uh, and finally, I started working with Southeast Asia in 2019. It was not very optimized from a time zone point of view. Because right. I used to have activities in Brazil, France, Switzerland, Vietnam, Singapore, okay. uh, Thailand, Malaysia. All around the world, yeah. And, and at some point, we decided that the, the best option was to move to Asia and be focused only on the Asia scope. Uh, and then I started work with China and Japan as well. So since right. uh, one year now, I'm the executive vice president for Asia. Great. So... This season is called uh, CEO Learning Curve, right? So I know you've kind of moved from this operations role, you know, previously in the business to this overall business responsibility for Asia. And so I guess my question is, you knew the company very well. You've obviously been in it for for many years. You've seen it from many angles. But were there any surprises that you discovered as you made that leap into the um, you know, running the whole business in Asia, you know, what were some of the learning points from that last year? Yes. Um, the surprise is uh, first, uh, I would say, uh, the loneliness of the, the, the leader. I don't know if you ever heard about this, but oh, yes. probably <laughs> in other podcasts, uh, I was um, warned about this. But when you really experience that uh, there is this kind of feeling that, okay, I'm now living the loneliness of the leader, uh, mm. which is, can be surprising because uh, in our role, we are never, now I can say physically or virtually alone. We are yeah. every time speaking with someone, uh, candidates, um, people, your teams, uh, your clients, uh, partners, you are never alone. Still, when there is this moment in which you are taking the decision, uh, well, you were alone. Uh, and yeah. then there is this loneliness. Uh, you are not, you are part of the team, but you don't feel like being the teammate. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I can put this in the right words, uh, but is this feeling about loneliness in a role that mm. is surrounded by hundreds of people? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because everybody's got a place in the system, right? Um they're all relying on you for something or counting on you for something. And so exactly. There's never neutral, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Even if they're, you know, your your boss, your colleagues, your, you know, your your reports, your customers, uh, there's always something, yeah, there's always a, a part of the part of the system. Mm-hmm. And and so how, how have you how have you dealt with that? You know, have you kind of come up with any ways sure. to kind of get through that when you're making decisions, um, for example? Yes. Um more than just uh, making decisions uh, is uh, also um, when you need to share. Uh, I think this is very important. Mm. Um, I, um, I, a solution for me was to find 
like my buddies in the company. Mm. Uh, I would say you need at least one, two, not more than three, uh, but people that you really can count on and share uh, your difficulties. Uh, don't need to be ashamed. Uh, we all yeah. went through uh, difficulties and um, uh, and this, well, it's not very easy. So yeah. uh, you need to share with people because uh, the problem is that um, when you are in a leader role, if you think that uh, you need no one else, that you can uh, always uh, handle it alone, well, this is very tough uh, and yeah. very heavy. So I would say no, no need to be uh, obligatory someone in your team, uh, but someone in company uh, yes. that can be your buddy in a way. Got it. Yeah. That's, it's, a great, it's a great advice, um, finding somebody that you can um, do that. It's interesting. I've seen it from various angles. Uh, yeah, often when I'm working with leaders, they, they, you know, they share that. It's like, well, at least Richard, you're somebody who's a fresh pair of eyes on this. Um, and then also one thing I've, I've done on, in my business, which is you know, I have a community of CEOs um, in different but related mm. sectors yes, uh, exactly. who, who can kind of, again, have that same forum with each other, right? Who, where they can kind of open up and share mm-hmm. challenges and opportunities and get different perspectives from somebody who's not close to the situation. And I think exactly all these different strategies are great ones, right? For kind of trying to surround yourself with different people and have different discussions and feel open to share. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. It, it, it is a mm-hmm. key one. Um, any other surprises or, or challenges that you found in this first year? Um, first was the distance with my teams. Um, mm. Not just because of the COVID situation, for sure, uh, but also because uh, when I started this role last year, I was uh, based in Brazil uh, and I was working with Asia. So it was uh, for Vietnam. 10 hours uh, Mm. of difference in time zone and China and Singapore, 11 hours. Uh, So it was a very important challenge. Um, Well, I was uh, waking up very early uh, in the morning, um, but still uh, I need to push uh, as hard as I could the concept of working remotely. Right. Uh, Not just because of the distance itself, uh, because we actually were, uh, was, were always used to work remotely. I told you since 2007, we are opening a lot of countries at the same time. So yes. we were actually native digitals since the beginning. Cool. So right. it was normal for us. Um, but when I was in Brazil working with uh, my teams in Asia, uh, there was, it was not just the distance, it was the time zone as well. Uh, and then how, from a personal point of view, how to endure it, how to uh, keep your life, uh, not, you know, uh, mm. working from 2 a.m. until, uh, yeah. well, so. Yeah. How, do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you maintain balance when you've got so many time zones? Yeah, imposing limits to myself and to my co- co-workers. Um, mm. And uh, I used to wake up very early. Uh, well, it was around 4 a.m., uh, but even though I was starting working uh, around uh, half past four, 5 a.m., around 2 p.m., 3 p.m., I was saying, okay, enough. Enough is enough. Uh, and then actually, uh, it was a nice period for me because uh, I had my afternoons to uh, enjoy my family that I was right. not in touch since years, since I was living in France. Yeah. Uh, and so it was kind of 10 months, uh, very interesting uh, from a uh, even a personal point of view, mm. uh, but a real challenge to 
okay, how to create um, links uh, and bounds between you and your teams working remotely, but in an extreme way, let's say. Uh, so now that I'm here in, in Vietnam, I still working remotely with people in other countries because uh, I cannot go to China, for example, borders are still closed. Right. Yeah. Uh, still, um, we are uh, promoting more and more uh, what we call the smart working approach in which uh, we, we don't want just to oblige people to go back to the offices. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. uh, the COVID showed us what was uh, possible to do. Now it is up to us to decide what we want to do uh, with hybrid work, uh, remote work, uh, mm. presence work. Uh, and I think this, this period in Brazil helped me think a lot about this. And we, I'm deploying uh, a lot of projects uh, today yeah. that help people uh, stay committed and having the sense of belonging with the company, even uh, when they are working remotely. Perfect. Let's, um, let's change gears just for the sake of time here. I'm going to ask you a few of our favorite quick fire questions. So just, you know, quick off the top okay. um, uh, comments um, here. Always interesting. First, what's your favorite quote? What's the motto that inspires you? Do you know this one? Uh, every adversity carries the potential of a benefit. Okay. Yeah. This nice is one. mine. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. Okay. Um, next one is what's your favorite app or something or perhaps something that's a bit uh, yeah. A bit Nowadays, I'm using a lot Duolingo. I need okay. to learn how to speak Chinese, and it's amazing the way they do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, great, cool, especially in your situation. <laughs> What's about a book that's really influenced you as a leader? The first I have read, I, I read uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay. It that's was actually my, my, my very first one, uh, and I started doing, uh, getting better grades after uh i i did this one <laughs> okay just got you into reading or whatever yeah <laughs> yes fantastic um what advice would you give your 20 year old self i'm very grateful uh, about every mistake that i have done um every thought that i have made a good and bad situation because uh, all of this um, makes who i am today so I would just say, uh, keep going. Um, things won't be easy, but life worth uh, believing. So keep going. Keep going. That was a good one. What about, um, last one is, is just, it's, it's always interesting for me to ask, uh, I guess, um, yeah, who's somebody that you know, who's an inspiring CEO who's really influenced you or inspires you? I, I ask it because, you know, many of our best guests on the show come from referrals, right? So I always love to know who inspires mm -hmm the CEOs? Um, I, I won't answer exactly what you just asked, uh, but there is someone that I think you uh, could have an, uh, a great time uh, speaking with, uh, which is Kevin Murko. I don't personally know him, mm -hmm. but why I'm speaking about him, because uh, he's amongst these people that are um, making what financial uh, will be tomorrow. Uh, right. So uh, he's the CEO of CoinMetro, which is an exchange of cryptocurrency. Um, and I think uh, one of the, let's say, most serious one. Uh, so I will keep an eye on him uh, because he will probably have uh, important impact in, in our society. Yeah, nice one. Thank you for the, thank you for the, the, the recommendation. 
Um, so Kai, before we close, I, I always love to think about the future and take us into the future. So yeah, no matter how much we've achieved, there's always a next level to get to and there's always a stretch, right? So the first question is, where do you go from here as a business, right? What would you love to accomplish in the Asian business over the next couple of years? Uh we have uh, a very precise plan uh, for the next uh, three years uh, to reach that uh, one more, more than 1,000 constants working uh, here in the different countries. Uh, and we aim uh, to be the local champions uh, in every country in, each, in which we are. So I can give you two examples uh, of uh, excellence in offers that we are developing right now. And uh, you probably... Uh, hear about this uh, in the next future. First uh, is um, our excellence center in automotive sector in China. There's something very interesting happening there. Um, China used to be the factory of the world. Now they are also the R&D of the world. So uh, when it comes to electric vehicle, um, they are uh, years ahead uh, and there is a lot of things. And we are uh, known as uh, an important player uh, in automotive sector in China with offers like infotainment. You know, uh, your mobile phone today is not just a phone, it's a platform. Yeah. Well, your car tomorrow will also be a platform and not just a car anymore. It's already happening. Uh, so this uh, champion, local champion in automotive sector uh, in China mainland. And for South Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, we have a digital factory, um, main in uh financial and insurance uh, sector uh, and will be uh, 100 uh, developers uh, mm. in the three next years developing uh, digital tools for financial uh, sector here in Southeast Asia. So basically okay. this is the goal and we have this roadmap until 2025. Fantastic. Sounds like some really great projects that are, you know, more, more than individual consulting assignments. There's some real kind sure. of infrastructure mm. that you're building there in the region. Mm. Uh, Kai, what are you going to need to do differently yourself uh, to, be, to hit your next level as you do all this, right? There's a lot of change and we, it's easy to be in our comfort zone when we're doing well. You're obviously doing very yeah. well, but what's your stretch going to be? After these last two years uh, working remotely, being very focused on the performance of my teams, um, now that I'm finally here in, in Asia, it's time to... Uh, go to see the external world much more than what I have been doing since now. We were speaking uh, about the loneliness of the CEO. Uh, well, uh, getting in touch with leaders of other companies is something very important. Uh, yeah. And so far, uh, I didn't do it that much. Uh, so I need to change that for the next yeah. years to go to the next level for sure. Yeah, perfect. So, Kay, last question is how, if people want to find out about you or about Amaris, how do they do that? Uh, you can try to join me in LinkedIn, very easy, Kai Kuchera Toporovic, uh, or uh, even uh, easier, uh, going to ameris.com or our LinkedIn account, uh, and we'll be more than glad to answer. Perfect. Well, hey, Kai, it's been a great, great uh, discussion with you. Thank you for sharing. It's really interesting how, you know, the company has, has scaled, um, you know, how it's Create this, created this approach that has allowed it to replicate itself in different parts of the business. Um, and uh, it's been fantastic to hear how you managed to exchange your PlayStation for horse as well. So um, <laughs> do appreciate the fascinating chat and uh, stay in touch. Many thanks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. 
When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.